Welcome to Homeris Podcast Radio. I'm Terry Schubert. I have with me Paul Berglund and Mandy Jones, all the way from Scotland. Mandy, welcome back. Thank you. I'm tempted to do that in an accent, but I haven't totally picked it up yet. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mandy, tell tell me what you're up to in Scotland. <laughs> well, you know, romance takes us all over the world, doesn't it? But, uh... I actually met up with um, David Sherlock, who is a small business owner and entrepreneur and creative guy, sound designer, uh, music producer extraordinaire, um, who lives in Scotland. And we connected a little over a year ago when he was looking for someone to do a vocal project with him online, and he kind of came across me. Um, and we started working on a vocal sample pack for his company, Freshly Squeezed Samples and just went from there just ended up liking each other and here we are we're doing all kinds of stuff together and in a relationship and all that good stuff and uh who who uses the freshly squeezed samples how how does that business work so freshly squeezed samples is uh probably if not the most like renowned high quality uh soundware company out there it's a little bit more of a boutique soundware company and it caters a lot to progressive house and trance producers, but electronic music producers of all kinds, uh, DJs and um, people making music. And um, so it's it's pretty popular amongst the electronic music production community. And it's not just loops of audio. It's also um, soft programs for soft synths. So uh, you can get anything from, excuse me, loops to one shots, um, you know, uh, vocal samples, software presets for for uh, digital synthesizers Mm -hmm. um, and all kinds of other stuff, really. I saw in there's there's templates as well of reference to spires that um, virtual analog synthesizer software. Yeah, Spire is a... um, a really popular synth amongst electronic music producers, especially in the dance music scene. How much does it cost for the basic software? For Spire itself, I actually don't know, <laughs> but but for you know the the packs of presets and samples on Freshly are probably anywhere from they range from twenty two to fifty two and upwards. And that'll have pounds. a combination of sound programming and performance. Uh, presets yeah yeah so if there's automation and tempo and in it i don't know how to answer that that's a better question for david but (laughs) how did he get into the business was he just uh originally just uh doing the music himself and then got into selling his work i think david really started on his own pretty much doing everything himself and he's always been passionate about writing melodies and chords um predominantly emotional melodies that are that people really remember. Um, so that's always been his thing. He's always been into electronic music from, from the early days. And, um, so he, he had a talent for writing these, these melodies and he decided to start making soundware so that other people could be inspired to create music on their own terms with some of his ideas, you know, as a starting point. And, um, I don't really totally know all the answers to, the the history of freshly but i will say that um he started it from the ground up just on his own he was doing a lot of work um on his own and he ended up collaborating with some people and you know ended up having big producers come to him looking to release products because he built a name for himself with the quality of his work which is like his number one thing so i know i can speak for that and now, the last time I saw you in town, I think you were playing with something called the Little Big Band. Can you talk about that <laughs> a little bit? That was like a flash in the pan, really. But I tend to do this thing where I, I I get really excited about a project and I'll like get everyone together and say, hey, guys, we're going to have this project. Um, and it 
I just lose excitement after the first you know expression of the project once you got it done that that was the fun part <laughs> yeah I'm much more of a um I, I work from a point of like inspiration and gathering and like preparation and idea generation so like I'm not like a implementation person so always something new but it was fun while it lasted you know I, I was my idea was to <clears throat> to have a uh, a big band that kept like the the traditional big band music alive but was a small enough group so that we could perform and we didn't have big you know requirements for performance and we could perform in different venues and stuff like that so at least we did the one show at jazz central which you guys were kind enough to attend and it was fun that was dynamite it was a it was a time in history <laughs> hopefully they continue it though i just had all these i had all this sheet music sitting around and i thought well let's just have have some fun really that's what it was about and for you personally you've been writing and producing your own music yeah um i've always dabbled in music production but i never really felt confident enough to start releasing stuff or consider myself a producer and i'm just kind of i'm still you know it's going to be a forever journey but um i'm just starting to get to the point where i'm comfortable really starting to work with it and um so I work with I, I work in Logic Pro, um, and I like to make a lot of down tempo, jazzy, you know, weird, weird but but ro- romantic and classical, uh, uh, not classical, classic, you know, R and B infused music. <laughs> so this tends to be kind of my style. And um, thanks to David, really doing a lot of stuff, doing the stuff with freshly squeezed samples and and. Um, we we started producerspace.com which is another sample site which right now has i believe 18 free voc uh free sample and midi packs a lot of them are vocal packs that i did available so people have all kinds of free resources that they can use um we've got a lot of projects in the works but that's soundware is really kind of what like catapulted me into like finally taking all the experience that I had performing music and writing music and actually doing something with it because I finally felt like I had the community and the tools to do it. You know, it's just been, I felt like such an amateur and I still feel like that sometimes, but, um, until I like started getting feedback from an actual community that I respected, you know? And so it's, uh, it's less daunting to, to put together, um, stem tracks or samples than it is to say oh this is my album this is my song this is my recording yeah because you're kind of you're turning it loose to somebody else's creativity um so you don't have to take responsibility for the final the final outcome and it's not like a big statement of like who you are as an artist uh which is a lot more intimidating so so can you give me a sample of one of the samples that i might hear (laughs) in a club if i walked into a club in ibiza say (laughs) well we did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's kind of funny, but we did a pack on producer space called uh, Soulful House Vocals. And, you know, <clears throat> it's a, something as simple as just a vocal sample that goes, I can't hold it back. You know, and you can imagine somebody adding delay and reverb and making that sound really snazzy with some house music. So, um, so do you have like a biggest, a biggest hit that you've had is <laughs> as far as a, a phrase? <laughs> no. Well, um, a lot of a lot of what I do is ad libs that are that are not like lyric based, so just oohs and ahs and ethereal kind of background textures, and those are what are getting really widespread use because people really like those to fatten up their productions. Um, I've had a couple of vocal samples end up on Above and Beyond's group therapy on uh, the last few weeks. A couple of different episodes of that, which is really cool. Excuse me, and um, so. It's just getting kind of used every. Oh, there was one. Um, this trans producer called Dan Stone did a song called Vona, and that reached number one on the Beatport trance charts. And that was using kind of one of my ooh and ah melody things as the main like break melody of the of the track. So that was really fun. It's just people will be like, "Did you hear yourself on that song?" And I'm like, "No, can you send it to me? I, <laughs> I haven't heard it." It's funny. So you haven't heard yourself in the clubs yet at at random. Not at random. I have heard myself in the club, but it was because I, I knew it was going to be there. So, <laughs> but I look forward to it. Well, that's neat that you found a way to to generate revenue, and you know, I mean, anyone can can get a soft synth, 
but you know it mastering uh performance and theory you've got that all in your back pocket so you're set it's definitely a bag of tricks to pull from um it's interesting how everybody has a different background and we can come to the same place and create stuff in the same general vicinity uh so i'm just happy to be a part of it i guess so do you think that the idea of the the pop star is out of date or is it always going to be around but just you know have just the few icons or it depends on who you're talking about i mean there's a lot of pop stars out there who the whole point is this pageantry and this kind of worship of an idol and that's very different from you know somebody like the beatles who had that but it was really more about them writing songs and just writing like making a lot of like a bulk of material that resonated with people so they happen to be both but there's a lot of people who are like one or the other um and I think that pop stardom is kind of as DIY culture is just becoming the main bulk of what everyone's doing. Like there's less like to me, I just don't see what's the point of, of that. Like I don't see the point of any kind of idolization or um, pageantry. Like I just say if music to me is about just making music. So make it. So you're not looking to ride on a golden lion at the Super Bowl halftime? Like, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> like, who wouldn't want to do that? That sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. Did you hear about, uh, <clears throat> what was the music service that uh, SoundCloud might be shutting down? That's crazy. No, I was thinking of, um, was it Spotify or what was the other radio um was it Spotify? They got in trouble for having really? computer-generated ambient music. To s- so it's like they're, they're saving tens of thousands of dollars in uh, royalties. In calling it tracks? Like calling it like an artist or something? Yeah, yeah. There's all these artists that have one song, but it really just came out of a computer, and they're not charging. So mm-hmm. there's, there's like a million-dollar ambient music ripoff in progress. Isn't that crazy? I guess there's nothing stopping them from doing that if they create an artist's name and publish the music. There's no reason why they can't do that, I guess. If it's good, then cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting that people would be, um, you know, all of a sudden accepting of computer-generated music when it wasn't even presented as computer-generated music. Maybe that's why they are. Because they're like, why otherwise would I like that? They look at it and they're like, this was made by an artist. And they kind of, there's a legitimacy to it then? It's not like uh, random or something in their minds maybe? I'm not sure. Well, the algorithms have, have gotten a lot better. So that the you know understanding of diatonic music is, it's not even really an understanding. It's more of a... Uh, uh, analysis of the well we'll just an, analyze 200 ambient songs and then s- yeah. set the computer loose and people won't be able to tell the difference which you know it's kind of like the Turing test it's like the the real joke of that question of you know the Turing test is where can an artificial intelligence can you tell if it's human or not on the other side of a curtain when you're asking it questions yeah but the joke is really what's what's on this side of the curtain how do we tell that we're not a computer and that we're not just running some algorithms based on all the music that we've taken in oh we're going we're going way far out right now <laughs> and we're we're out of time mandy thank you so much for for coming in and uh sharing a little bit and uh jamming with paul and i thank you yeah it's a pleasure all righty well, well you see you again uh where can people uh check out your work uh, well, my website's under construction, but it will be at mandyjonesmusic.com. Uh, otherwise, you can catch me on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash mandyjonesmusic, uh, facebook.com slash forward slash mandyjonesmusic, et cetera. You can find Twitter. stuff there. Yeah, Spotify and all that stuff. So thank you guys very much. All right, Dynamite. Have a, have a good time at karaoke tonight. <laughs> I will. Hopefully it won't get too crazy. <coughs> well, I'm going to continue on and um, we'll uh, post a little bit of the um, the jam session from the 
I'm going to call it the spam session, the St. Paul ambient music meetup. So look for that in your spam folder. Uh, Paul, what have you been working on? Hi. Um, well, well, first, let me just see how much I enjoyed that. This is the second time I've been able to listen to uh, one of your interviews. And it's fascinating. So it's great stuff. So good for you. I, I've just been working on being alive and stuff like that. And I, I really look forward if if my daughter had had to do something tonight, I was going to go do something with her, but as as not. So I'm now one of those annoying regulars, I guess. There's the third straight time. Like, like, why is Paul here? Why don't we get someone else here? You know, like, it, it's, you did get someone else. Tonight, it's tough so in the good. summer. Yeah. Not everyone's on Meetup yet, but right. it seems there to be go. more popular yeah. than Craigslist. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm interested in, besides that I've told you in the other interview we did with eventually getting an album of my own piano compositions done, which would be a, I don't know what you call it, you know, just piano pieces I have written that are not improvised at that point. And I want to do that, but I'm fascinated by one, the, uh, just the, the energy I feel from coming here and listening to you all and what you've got going. And then the idea, as I've mentioned, of expanding what I'm doing, like when we were improvising tonight, I feel completely limited when I'm doing it. I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean like I feel terrible or something. I just mean like there's this feeling like, come on, expand, you know, and, and it isn't just do something different, you know, it isn't just variety for its own sake. It's the idea of just that palette, in, you know, expanding and stuff like that. So that's my main interest if you had, if I had to verbalize one. Other than that, it's just, this is fascinating stuff. And I know I'm so technical deficient that just hearing any of this stuff i'm sure at some level i must be soaking some of it in and some of it might so anyway that's all i got to say really yeah you you make up for it with your piano chops right. so are, you, are your kids musical at all they're very musical but they did not learn music you know my son i have one son who is uh uh has worked very hard and he's a resident uh internist now he's just turned 30 he, is, he used to be a really good bass uh, player in the student orchestra, mm -hmm. so the, so upright bass and stuff, very musical. And he started playing the guitar again, and, and actually a bass, uh, an acoustic bass, just you know like a guitar-type bass, and singing and stuff, so that's great. And my, my oldest daughter was very good at, at, at uh, violin, but somehow they never we never got that going. And that's a long story how that w happened, but she may pick that up too, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I started out on uh, string bass yeah. in fifth grade, and then um, I somehow I ended up in a, a school that didn't have an orchestra. I forgot to ask in high school if they had an orchestra, and so I ended up playing electric bass in a essentially a, a, a school band, like a brass band. So we're playing, you know... Sousa and whatnot, but I got to play the electric bass, and so nice. the the good thing about that is, uh, it's the same. You're you're learning on bass. You're learning your E A D and G notes, so you get a sense of the way uh, guitars are tuned in fourths, and how to, um, you know, get your diatonic scale, your major scale, and how to. Uh, you learn a lot about the voice leading and stuff with bass to it. it you know, every every instrument takes uh, the same amount of time to master, but bass guitar is one that's actually easy to start. Mm -hmm. But you are definitely it, it's it's a lot of responsibility because you're right in the middle of the rhythm and the harmonic structure, and while you can you do vary from the root note, um, your passing notes have everything to do with the voice leading, and you know, and so yeah, when you see a band that that if they have a bad bass player, you're not going to say, oh, that bass player is terrible. You're going to say, boy, that band sounds terrible. You're not going to know that it's the bass player screwing <laughs> it up. That's so, very interesting. So you have to, yeah. you know, you're you're working with the kick drum and the vocalists mm -hmm. to, yeah. you know. And you know, most of what I learned was from learning records and stuff. You know, you get the you get the muscle memory from, from playing off of sheet music and how to, you know, playing in an ensemble. But uh, I was mostly self-taught because I wasn't super interested in John Philip Sousa. So yeah, bass guitar. So your your son has a an acoustic 
bass guitar? Yeah, I just just was at his uh, place the other day, and he was playing it and singing and just having a good time. It was, it was his birthday, and uh, what when it was funny when you were mentioning that is there's one thing about his musicality is it's solid. I mean, there's that there's that like you know you, you feel like it's very uh, you know on in in step or something, you know, and that must be where one of the things if you become a decent bass player. You're real solid that way. I mean, it may be, must be that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, or it isn't where it's like, it's it's like he could hold his own if he was playing ensemble or something. I don't really know what I'm saying. It it takes like, a lot of discipline, yeah, and, and you just, have to kind of know where where, where everything yeah everything where to be is, creative yeah. and yeah. you yeah. know I I always try to discourage bass players from using a guitar pick because you know the fingers are. You have um, you can get all the pretty much all of the same tone, um, but where the notes stop is part of the music and the rhythm too. And yeah. so when you're playing with your fingers, you're stopping each note before yeah. you start the next note. Whereas if you're playing with a pick, they it's almost kind of like they're droning on, or you know you get some interference yeah. in the low end that isn't good. Yeah. Um, but you know if you're if you like the Who or John Entwistle or you know, to some extent, yes, and Chris Squire, they, they kind of, you know, rush. It's kind of boingy to boing boing bass, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, you listen to Led Zeppelin, it's more like Jamie Jamerson, really round, fundamental mm-hmm. pulse, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh, it makes the band sound, that that's why Zeppelin sounds fat and The Who sounds thin all these years later. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> And so your your daughter has put down the violin for now right and and she she just had she just had her first baby a little while ago which got my first grandchild beautiful oh well, congratulations beautiful. thank you and but one thing i always liked thought i, I thought you asked about my my children musically talented is that she could play the violin in tune you know and most people who play the violin at a low amateur level or beginning it's so small they, they don't play it in tune you know, and that's such a. It sounds so good when it play when it's in tune. And and you yeah. can have a, you know, a lot of times inexpensive instruments will have like high action and bad yeah. intonation. Yeah. And so it's like trying to learn how to ski on bad rental skis. <laughs> you you're not gonna be able it's to do it. <laughs> it's not gonna. Yeah, you know. Yeah. There, but yeah. you know, with guitar, I I I think having. A guitar with high action and heavy strings makes it harder to play, but it'll make you a stronger player yeah. ultimately. So yeah. ba- don't don't be afraid of a bad guitar, yeah. but a violin. That there's a huge difference between a good violin <laughs> okay. and a bad violin. Good advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pitch. That's that's one of those things that's uh, kind of you know if you expose people, I think if you expose kids to music, you know from from the jump even probably in the womb then you know it's sort of like uh <clears throat> yeah if you grow up in a house with a piano in it you you know you can't avoid pitch you know and people who don't listen to music or play music or have music around then when they go to to operate these machines that make music mm-hmm. then they might not have the ability to recognize the pitch mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, my dad played guitar, and, uh, you know, he, he played a little bit of, you know, uh, country and rockabilly-type stuff. Um, so there was always guitars in the house, and I kind of inherited his instruments. You know, my dad was a band director for a while, and so that's where my you know, some of my musical stuff comes, uh, you know, a high school band director. And that's where he loved that those songs I'm trying to learn now, um, uh, Dark Town Strutter's Ball, Five Foot Two Eyes of Blue, you know, those kind of, I, I let that era songs, you know. And uh, and also rhythm was real important. I mean, or what, what's in staying in in uh, careful measure, you know, car- careful beat. But I, did, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was just... So you oh, no, not at all. Yeah. And, just noticing uh, there's a train going by, so... Sometimes they sort of hover there with their engines yeah. pumping. Yeah. But uh, so so what? Um, which what what composers have you been most interested in? From you say the twenties and thirties well, is kind of uh, where you're focusing. Personally, I'm most interested. I'm a composer by far that I most 
identify with is the classical composer or, you know, romantic composer Chopin, you know, from being a piano by, by far. And then I really love Beethoven uh, as a composer. You know, I mean, not that I do. So that's really, and then, of course, I, I, when, I, uh, when I was in college, I liked Scott Joplin a lot and learned some rags back then. And I, for a while, I thought I liked blues, you know, uh, rhythm and blues and stuff, which, I mean, it's, everybody's so immensely influenced by that just by being in this century or the, that century. But um, the reason I'm learning these now is actually just to be able to play the piano um, for people because I never did. I, I you know, I, uh, I, I didn't play it much all these years. I'm a pretty good piano player, and I never really learned how to play pieces. I wouldn't be able to sit down and say, say, well, do you play the piano, you know, and... And those are pieces that are completely accessible by anybody, you know. So, and I'm not just concentrating on those. It's just they're public domain too, so I could play them anywhere. I may not have a, ra a good rationale for this. It could be you can play anything. Like I don't even. I'm, gonna, I'm learning Georgia. I you know Georgia on my mind. One of the greatest songs of all time. But sure, that may not be public domain. I think it is. But, but. Uh, um, do you have any favorites, old favorites like that, to, that that you think should be heard? Oh, I think um, you know, I'm I'm I find Scott Joplin to be hypnotic, yeah. and it's kind of miraculous where it's so lighthearted and the but he's he's flying around, changing keys and these chromatic runs. Um, it's it's dizzying, but you never you never you never feel like you're lost. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like the suspension and release is so well planned that you can't miss it. But Amazing. at the same time, there's this this sort of whirlwind of the arpeggios and the inversions going by and the chromatic runs. Um, it's just so so far beyond what you learn when you're learning blues, for instance. You yeah. know, um, the the composition also too. It it it's it seems like it's uh, it's got a different a different feeling to it because it doesn't have that uh the the sense of expressiveness that like we think of expressiveness as adding notes to the the <clears throat> the national anthem you know mariah carey well, the I, I mel melisma I hate you know they do that i know yeah, it's like right, yeah. or you know if you see if you see jesus christ superstar like don't don't sing any extra notes yeah, all the ones please. that they wrote are exactly <laughs> just fine. fine just save your voice you're going to need it for the second act um uh, mad props to the uh the local production of jesus christ superstar did you see that laurie yes. It's good, huh? Okay, I didn't see it. Yeah. They they don't have any staging or any costumes. Interesting. No set. And it, but it works great, apparently, huh? But they have a full band and they play every note and sing it perfect. It's a, it's very moving. It's just a if if you really like that Brown album of Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, yeah, another thing I find it's you know interesting is so like Joplin was a lot of the. The harmonic tricks that he uses came from the romantic composers mm -hmm. and then a lot of what you hear in elton john and that style you know you a lot of piano oriented music since then but specifically elton john he uses a lot of tricks from scott joplin mm -hmm. and so would who who is the biggest innovator in this um in the romantic music as far as figuring out these tricks of how to get emotion using the tension and release with the diatonic scale like who 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 really came up with these tricks that are getting passed down well i i i'm not good at knowing that kind of stuff i just, and again you know i don't know i i think that um frederick chopin is by far the most by far the best piano composer if you want to say best I mean you know and and also incredibly innovative uh, you know and that any piano player that any piano composer that composed after him maybe with some exceptions was highly influenced by him maybe not so you notice it so much uh, a lot of chromatic stuff but not just chromatic I mean he, he just in the Im immensely beautiful music a whole world he basically created a world I mean, this is a Chopin fan talking now, but he basically created a world, you know what I mean? And and it's still 
happening. And know? we're still in it. Yeah, and include yeah, including you know like Broadway. I mean you know like things. But um, I remember when I was a yeah. kid, there was that uh, Bizet Carmen, that, that uh, strong descending chromatic lick. Mm-hmm. You know that that struck. Yeah, I saw it on um, right. Sesame Street. The orange would <laughs> the orange would sing it, and um, I, that just I it was yeah. somehow it was just mysterious to me. Like what what is that music? Yeah. It doesn't sound like other music. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's funny. <laughs> I I've been practicing a little bit, not practicing but looking at using um, chromaticism and uh, um, diminished stuff because I never do and partly because I don't I, I must be it's, it, this is I don't want to get too weird too weirder but I think I re- I rebel against that old music I'm trying to learn now like if it used any uh, any any of that stuff at all and maybe I just like uh, folk type stuff or uh, I don't I don't know well, I am trying to learn it now. I'm trying to add it to my d- palette, so to speak, but not not for no reason, not just to do it, you know. I, I had a similar experience where back in the 80s, I thought electronic, like drum machine reggae was like the most heinous form of music ever invented. And then, like, I, I, I'll, I'll throw a song on at the end of this podcast with Mandy um, an electro reggae song we did together cool. that came out really good <laughs> it's one of my favorite things so it, it's you know at the same you know there's one day I sold all of my yes Genesis electric light orchestra records I just kind of got sick of this overwrought pop music mm-hmm. you know and it used to be what I was all about I had every electric light orchestra record and every mm-hmm. yes record but then one day I decided okay this is this is not for me anymore i'm <laughs> i'm over it you know and so you know you 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 dig into things and then you get out of them and that you know that's the thing too you see people who are prodigies when they're 20 and they they get a lot of uh, a lot of success and they're you know you can be like oh wow look at this new guy is so great so great so great but then when as successful as you can be you can get stuck doing what you know that you can be good at and so johnny lang is going to play blues and Mm -hmm. you know and he's great a great blues player at Mm -hmm. 20 but eventually he's going to smash all of his eric clapton records (laughs) i mean it it, i it's i think it's a necessary you know evolution to to find you know find something you're you like when you're young and then learn everything you can about it fall in love with it and reject everything else you know my hero's you know, whether it be Rush or mm-hmm. Black Sabbath or whatever it is you idolize, you really ultimately you have to reject that uh, the first paradigm that you kind of surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that often happens too when you go to, you know, try to play other people's music. You realize, oh, okay, they've listened to all completely everything different than I have, and I have a lot to learn to, um, to play music with with different people you know mm-hmm. when you just play your own songs and mm-hmm. tell people what to do it's actually a very it's it's actually really easy to figure out one thing but there's a million tricks in music um now one other thing i wanted to ask about now i, I talked to uh, music teachers before about this and uh the the origin of the diatonic scale and equal temperament where now when did when did who who cooked up the equal tempered scale and started doing key changes because it used to be parallel harmonies Mm -hmm. with like um Mm -hmm. monks Mm -hmm. well i don't think bach did it but when i was taking you know and and again i'm no scholar about this stuff but during bach's time and and you know he taught he Put out a work called the Well-Tempered Clavier, you know, which had equal temperament scale. And that would be um, 1685 to 1750 is when he lived. Different and different pieces and different keys, so that yeah. young people could learn then, how to play in different keys. Right, and then the, the the tuning of the piano would be such that the sounds intervals would sound okay, you know, in those different keys. Or if you trans if you change keys within a piece, you know what I mean. 
So, and then I guess since I, I've never heard that well, um, uh, that keenly, you people who who they'll say it's 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 it, you're sacrificing something by even temperament. In other words, if you're playing in G or something, as I've heard anyway, if it was just in G and it didn't change key, it would sound maybe better or something. If it was in e, whatever you call true temperament or true you know thing. But you can't uh, transport. You can't change keys. Then the equal tempered third is sharp from the mathematical major mm -hmm. third. Um, and you know, is that it? Is that it? Yeah, that's the ex all there is. To the it? explanation yeah. I heard is major that third or minor third or both. The, the major third. Oh, okay. The minor yeah. third is really close. But okay. The major third yeah. is the one that's. Um, and that's a huge part of major music. Let's face well, it; it's the whole thing in a way, except the. the anyway, there was. A if if you if you took your yeah if if you had the what I had heard is that if if we used uh what did they call it uh just temperament yeah is, maybe that's it yeah I forget that, I yeah. think just temperament yeah. is one where it's actually mathematically on the mm -hmm. where the the waves interact that that would sound weird to us if we heard music like that well it might now but isn't don't of course i don't know about this stuff but i was like when when someone back when i was in school and college someone would talk about you know it's so and so you know it's hard to play with uh my, my violin it's hard to play with the piano player because the you know because the even temperament or something whereas i can play you know in my key of a or something with the so I had the idea in my mind anyway that it would sound good, you know, better, you know, uh, if it's true. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but then if you played up, I mean, if you switch, I, I think key if, and it wouldn't sound any good. Yeah, right. With the piano anyway. But go ahead. Sorry. Also within that that um, so if you were to um, say if you're in the key of of C and then you play a B minor. If your root is all, it would all your root would be flat because it was trying to be that third of the the. Did I say that right? I don't. I don't I oh don't. no, no. I'm I'm sorry. If you if you're playing in C major, then you play an E minor. All of a sudden, the root of that E chord is going to be flat because you had to compensate. So even within the same key, you're mm -hmm. still going to have this thing I think called the wolf tone, mm -hmm. which is um, like, it's a, a somewhat of a, it's got a two very, you, you can, I don't know, you, I just recommend anyone look up on uh, Wikipedia about the wolf tone. That's that's okay. just basically the, 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 the worst compounded error that'll give you this weird beating, whoa, 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 kind of a dissonant sound okay. if you're using that and really only the dx7 um traditionally has allowed uh the true temperament but i don't think anyone uses it yeah you know the in the <clears throat> keyboard the dx7 was had a had an option to have the, you you could do micro tunings that, yeah that's, with it. that's cool i mean you so, think they just program that into anything in case maybe no one wants to use it or something but yeah i mean uh, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that's such a small concern yeah, for us. Yeah, if we're really committed yeah. to the circle of fifths, then yeah, we which, just have to accept yeah. the just temperament. Yeah. And, and I don't know any different anyway, so I mean, it's fine with me, but yeah. And so, you know, and finally, do you, do you think Bach is a thousand years ahead of his time or are we going to catch up to him someday in our musical understandings i feel like he left us in the dust and we haven't we're we're still looking at his pyramid going how did they do that well you know i've never understood that i i i absolutely uh acknowledge his great genius or something not that i would know how to gauge it but to me when i played some bach as a piano student I found it very. Uh, I found a lot of uh, expression in it, and maybe still to this day, I don't know. There's this idea that it was objective or something, or it was pure music, or it was. Uh, I know Chopin said something about that Bach was, you know, in, in the cosmos or something like that. You know, and, and like that Beethoven was. I forget the exact phrase, but Beethoven was doing great battles and or great, you know, uh, you know, epic things. Uh, human things that way, and that uh, 
you know, the human struggle or something, and that Bach was in the cosmos, and then Chopin was in the human heart, you know, which is beautiful. Well, you should, I should look it up so I could actually say it. But so the I, I don't I, I assume he was a spectacular genius, but other than the beauty of his music, when I when I can appreciate that, uh, and I'm thinking of a particular piece now that I studied a lot in in, in school, and I was I was um, I remember my piano professor was very good, God rest his soul. He didn't want me playing it with a lot of expression, right? And when I played it in uh, my recital thing, uh, another professor was there, and he told he had my panel professor cons confessed that the guy said, "I like the way that guy plays." So I mean, there's this. It isn't that there's some, you know, you know, this is like a harpsichord could not have certain certain variables. So therefore, Bach. You know, and I think Bach's music was full. I mean, I'd love to time travel in here him play his own music or something, you know. I'm not really answering your question. I don't know how far ahead he is or not. I, you know. But do, you, uh, do other people have had the sense that he's not really of his time and place? In in, in what way? I'm, I'm oh, just that uh, his his imagination and his voice leading is inexplicable. And is it, uh, I mean, uh, uh, to me, it, it well, seems so far out. And there's like that. There's there's multiple things going on, but there's a sort of a, a, mm -hmm. a an inertia to his voice leading that isn't apparent on the page or something. Right, there could be, and th th that's the thing where, where I've, I've always very much respected Bach. He's not my favorite composer, not that that means anything. Um, Mozart, uh, I know my piano professor uh, said at one time, Mozart, yeah, that's the best art. You know what I mean? And, and so some people think of Mozart as this incredibly great genius that no one has ever touched, you know. Uh, I know Chopin revered Bach, I mean, you know, and that's before Bach was, you know, I mean, maybe the musicians revered him then. I certainly would, he may be the greatest of all time or something, but I, I don't know, um, I mean, I think of Beethoven as, my favorite composer. I mean, I, I, when people say, "Oh, he was just," you know, I mean, to me, he's a titanic. I, I still think of him as seven feet tall. I was disappointed to hear he was like five foot one or five foot three or something. Oh, and, and and stone deaf, but persevering well, on the pure force of his Sta imagination, staggering the unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, like, how strong is your imagination that you can just get a whole symphony on paper without ever hearing well, it? I, that, yeah, that alone would be great. And then just the greatness of the music, including piece after piece after piece after piece. It isn't one great piece or something. There's like a violin concerto or something that's unbelievable. Any number of the piano sonatas, if they're played by a really good player on a really good day or something, I mean, really, you know, they're unbelievable. Uh, you know, so um, I think he was far ahead of his time, too. Like, I mean, I don't know. It'd be nice if somebody... Uh, yeah, but I may just not understand what people who think that about Bach are doing. I don't in any way denigrate. I think he's a great genius. Just the fact he could improvise fugues alone would make him a stunning, and, I, and his music is so great on top of it. But yeah, and, and part of it is just the mystery of what you know. For my understanding of of voice leading and composition, and then to hear J.S. Bach, it, it just it's like it defies my my left side of my brain that's trying to understand what's going oh, on like i cannot yeah. i cannot grasp what he's doing or you know like a lot of times if i saw a guitar player sing and play a song i could probably imitate it and come pretty close like mm -hmm. i could look at his hands and know what's going on mm -hmm. you know but there's there's no sense of that and so in a sense as a musician when you you um you know if you you're always you can tend to be analytical about music and lose some of the uh, the the right brain feeling of music because you can't not hear the technique or the instruments or the production or the composition because that's what you're thinking about. Whereas other people just hear music and so they you know use fMRI and look at the the brains of musicians versus non musicians listening to music one side of the brain for musicians the other side for non-musicians but then you know it was which side is it for musicians by the way well the musicians would have the left side of their brain activated where when they're listening to music yeah and that would be the the analytical side 
And this is somewhat of a generalization. Okay, that's okay. I, I know, but it's... it's so, yeah, it? our brains are opposite. See, we write with our right no, hand. I, I it's know. our logical I, side. I know that so, much, I know. But, yeah, I was just curious. I mean, um, yeah. So, yeah. so went, for me to hear Scott Joplin or J.S. Bach, or in some sense, yes, where it's, like, very far out um, modally or whatever, mm-hmm. that to me is exciting because I, it's beyond my comprehension, and so I can kind of experience it as music instead of as some type of uh, you know work of musical creation that mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand. Okay, okay, that's a very interesting thought. Um, and so, so uh, yeah, as I said, Bach is the the one that's the furthest out mm-hmm. to me. Um, and now, if you want to hear a, I want to recommend to anybody who wants to hear a really cool application of the circle of fifths and chromatic runs. There's a song called "Awaken" by Yes. And they do this peculiar part at the end where they're just reeling through the circle of fifths over and over again. But the bass does some variation. So, but it's uh, it's really a puzzling song. Awaken, f- awaken by yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. At the end, they do this crazy circle of fifths move, and so it's like, yeah, it's in a weird, weird time and everything. But uh, amazing, amazing piece of music. All right. Is there any uh, one other piece of music you want to recommend that other uh, musicians might be interested in? I'm thinking. I want to I think of something that pops into my head here. Um, what's your favorite rock song of all time? Favorite rock song? I, I, I know no one ever has a real favorite because there's so many good ones. You know, there's so many you can't really have a favorite, but if you just had to pick one. The, I, I think the best rock song of all time is I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And I don't mean it's the greatest song. It's just the most durable. It sounds fantastic on a commercial today. Yeah. And it, it's not even, it's not It's not a great subject. You know, I mean, it's, 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 not their be- it's not their best song in a certain way. But if I had to say one, I mean, I love like a Rolling Stone, like like the Rolling Stone picked for as the number one all time. But but um, something about the incredible durability of that song. I think um, one I always uh, like to rave about is Mr. Tambourine Man by okay. Bob Dylan. It's got three chords, but it's got four distinct parts in the you, composition. You know, I heard, you know, it's funny about Bob Dylan, who I, you know, used to, worship and i'm ticked off at him i wish he'd write some good songs now again but i suppose suppose that'll get me in trouble i don't i doubt he won't be listening to this will he oh <laughs> okay. you, you didn't like the band no, I <laughs> he should have left okay. the band okay. in, no, in america right. but, but it's like um he i heard him sing that back when pete seeger handed him the mic or something it was awesome it was phenomenal how, how what a great presentation he did of it and i i was just thinking the other day how some some like in in in, po- in poetry or in lyrics Everybody must get stoned is one of the great lines <laughs> of all time because, among other things, it probably means other things. It means everybody must get high. Everybody must get high. You know what I mean? Everybody, every must, it must. Everybody here today must get stoned. And then, you know, I'm thinking about it. Everybody must get stoned. And that also means everybody must get stoned. You know, in uh, life, and it means all these different things. You know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe everybody already knows this. I mean, I knew it before, but. Uh, it reminds me that uh, he came up with some incredible um, lyrical content out of somewhere. I mean, he, it, you know, it's like a, a mystery how that happened. Uh, yeah, and speaking of the band, I, I like, uh, I really, really like uh, um, The Night They Drove Old Dixie yeah. Down. Yeah, oh, that's great. Great. Yvonne Helm. Uh, great astonishing you know, it's arrangement fun, it's funny you should rem- mention that because one of the high points of my listening experience was one day i could tell i could drive to where it was if the building is still there i was living in a sleeping room at the university near minnesota and i heard what's her name I just, i'm just having a mental joan block. baez joan baez sing the night they drove old dixie down and it somehow caught me in the right mood and i still remember it it was an amazing experience i, I feel like both her and um Johnny Cash had kind of a bouncy, lighthearted versions of it. I'm not saying it's the best version either. Yeah, it's just but, one of those things. But yeah. the um, the 
the live movie version of it is pretty strong and you can there's a there's a point at the end where they they kind of do this um chromatic descending part like there's this little bridge at the end there's a little suspended thing and then they kick back into the chorus and you can just hear the crowd explode you know it's, it's just amazing the, the band's version is is it of course yeah I, I love and that. i i uh, thought that joan baez wrote it and they covered it but that, really? that isn't so. the case no, i think robbie robertson wrote it right yeah, yeah and virtual pain is my name it just yep. has a quality right out right out of the thing yeah so. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a funny it's a funny uh, old timey song, but uh, has a lot of like actual history in it. Um, so yeah, well that's fantastic stuff. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know what I'd like to do uh, next time we get together if if we don't have anyone else here droning along, we can uh, I'd like to maybe uh, work up a little bit of arrangements. Of, we'll just like. Um, do some guitar and piano arrangement just to see if we can't uh, um, come up with something fun because uh, you know I, I don't really get to play a lot of guitar I mean I guess I could sit down and play guitar anytime I want mm-hmm. but really I'm I'm interested in arranging and um, I, I like your your uh, harmonic sensibility and your mm-hmm. ability to improvise these progressions that's uh, and your technique is strong. I'm, I'm really impressed with your playing, Paul. I'm really happy you're able to come and make music with me here today. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And, you know, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I love the vitality of you folks. And the and your guests are so good, too. I mean, that was terrific. I mean, it's like, you, you know, maybe, maybe you'll be famous. Maybe this will be a famous thing someday. Who knows? If not, it's good anyway, you know, so... All right. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, I guess we'll uh, you'll hear from us next week. All right. Thank you.